Okay, everybody, well, we're in Acts chapter 4 this morning. Acts chapter 4, and as you turn there, I want to give you a reminder as you go out today, out in the lobby, we have the Love Works t-shirt sign up for this year, and we change our shirt color every year, and we do that not only to give you another nice t-shirt to wear, but so that we can have kind of a mixture and kind of a fun time on Public Servants Day on February 14th. So the color this year is red, and uh, out on, on the, your way out, make sure you sign up uh, for your name and your size that you want to order, and we will probably have a deadline on that, uh, probably by next Sunday or maybe the Sunday after, to be able to get those t-shirts in. And so get that ordered, get it going. We're excited about Love Works this year. And we'll be sharing with you some of the projects as we get out in a couple of weeks. But we're here in Acts chapter 4 this morning. And I want to give you some backstory on the passage we're about to read. Peter and John had gone up to the temple one afternoon to pray. And as they went there, uh, out on the steps there, as they went into the temple, there was a lame man who was begging and asked them for money. And Peter told him, we, didn't have, we don't have any money, we have something better. He said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And the Bible talks about how he took him by the hand and lifted him up, and dude started leaping. And we used to sing a song uh, when I was in Sunday school, he went walking and leaping and praising God, he went walking and leaping and praising God. Have you, have you guys ever sing that one? Oh yeah, you guys missed out then. We may have to do that one as a chorus here at church. But everybody was, everybody standing by was amazed because they recognized the formerly lame guy who's doing circles, just running laps. And Peter used the opportunity to preach a sermon about repentance that day. Well, this didn't sit well with the religious crowd. And so they took Peter and John and they locked them up for the night. Meanwhile, outside, as they're locking them up, Close to 5,000 men are receiving Christ as Savior. This huge revival is happening in Jerusalem. And the next morning, the Sanhedrin Council is going to figure out what to do about these pesky Jesus followers. And so they hold this council, and they're going to see what's going on. These people who keep talking about Jesus being resurrected from the dead. And when they question Peter, he starts right up preaching Jesus again. 
And the Sanhedrin couldn't figure out what to do, so they commanded them. They actually said, here's the command we're giving to you. You can't speak in the name of Jesus anymore. That sounds like modern America, doesn't it? Not in a public place. There is no speaking the name of Jesus in a public place. No teaching, no preaching about Jesus. And Peter and John said, look, we can only speak about what we've seen and heard. And this isn't a philosophy. This isn't a religious theory. We saw him with our own eyes, the resurrected Christ. And so the Sanhedrin threatened him again and let him go. And that brings us to our reading for this morning. So if you're physically able, would you stand now as we're in chapter 4. And we're going to begin in verse number 23 as we get started. And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together. For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spake the word of God with boldness. Father, would you work in our hearts today as we focus on being together in worship. And I pray that you would help us to understand from this passage the reason why we worship together. And then you would help us to, in practical ways, find opportunities to worship you as the God of heaven. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So the disciples, we just read it, they're released from the Sanhedrin. They head back to their own group, their own company, the faithful people that had met in the upper room and waited for the Holy Spirit together. The disciples give the report of of what had happened with the Sanhedrin. And immediately the whole group goes directly to God. Now, when we go to God wholeheartedly, and we seek Him, and we seek His direction, and His will, and His power, we enter the area of authentic worship. See, worship is more than singing together. Now, we can worship when we sing, But that's not even close to a complete picture of worship. Uh, When we bow with our hearts and lift with our voices, God's authenticity, God's reality, and we proclaim that the Lord indeed is God, the only God, that's when we're acting out worship together. God is looking for more than a song, one writer said. He's looking for an authentic heart. And so we're going to see from this passage this morning what it's like to be together in worship. And uh, we are going to go through your notes. They're providing your bulletin if you'd like to follow along with us. 
And we talked, first of all, about viewing God properly. Viewing God properly. And I want you to go back and just picture yourself with this group of believers, probably the most devout group of believers that there has ever been on the earth, centered in one point at one time, these first disciples who had all seen the risen Christ, and watch them as they go on their faces before God, and really that's worship is, what worship is, and now they raise their voices to say, Lord, you are God. That's what the first thing he said. Lord, you are God. And then they remind him that he made heaven and earth and the sea and everything. And God, your sovereignty is so immense. And I love this part. You kind of have to read this and think it out. But your sovereignty is so immense that Herod and Pilate and the Gentiles and the Jews, all thinking that they were acting of their own accord, were actually doing what had been predetermined by you. That's how great you are. You really are God. There's not anyone or anything else that could possibly be God but you. Folks, this is worship. Worship is when the heart is bound before God. Declaring that He's the only one worth bowing toward. You know, God loves authentic worship. Nothing pleases Him more than somebody or somebody's or a group or a church bowing hearts and proclaiming Him to be God and God alone. Just like we sang this morning, you are God alone. And if worship doesn't bring us to a God and God alone thought process, then it is only an artificial exercise. And unfortunately, that's what most worship is these days. It's an artificial exercise that is much more about us than it is about God. See, real worship sees the Creator in His full majesty. Real worship goes way past what's in the church bulletin. It goes way past our rituals and our routines and our preferences. Worship bows before the all-powerful God and proclaims that He is the only legitimate object to be praised. And until we have as the mindset of our body that He alone is God, we don't get anywhere in our prayers. Without real hearts of worship, everything we do is in our own strength. And it ends up being empty. And so we have to think, about viewing God properly. And it it really starts with what they said. Lord, You are God. And it's just a great reminder to go to God every day and just to name Him as God. Lord, You're God. You're the God of my life. You're not only the God of heaven and earth, but You're the God of me. And I worship You. And I bow my heart before You. And really, that was the mindset that this group of people had. But then we go a little further and we find them in the second part understanding there are things only God can do. And that's one of the things that is hard for us to understand. There are things that only God can do. Once we have the right attitude for worship, then we can actually pray. You remember Jesus 
taught his disciples that they would have to have an attitude of worship before they would get a request answered. The Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then you can pray a prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. But before you could pray a request, you had to proclaim how great He is. And there was a worship part of this because there are things that only He can do. And we move to the cares on our hearts. And just if God's not God alone in your heart, your prayer is pointless. But we get to these things that are on our hearts, and that's what happened in their prayer. So look at what happened in Jerusalem. The attitude of worship they had caused them to ask for something really incredible. And I want you to see it. Verse number 29. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. So they said, Lord, they're threatening us. But I want you to notice something incredible about this passage. They didn't ask God for the circumstances to change. They didn't. They said, God, here are the circumstances. And then they asked for God to do what He had determined to do. And to provide them with the boldness to act on His will. And I want you to consider for just a minute what most of our prayers are about. Now think on it just for a second. What are most of our prayers about? God, change my wife. God, if you would change my husband, it sure would give me joy. God, if you would change that young man's heart, if you would help the car to run better, if you would make this happen. And we are constantly and consistently, I don't know where we learn this, I don't know if it's our selfish humanity, I don't know if we've been taught prayer the wrong way, Prayer does have requests, right? But you know, their request didn't say, God, change my circumstances. Their request said, God, change your hearts. And most of our prayer requests are all about, God, you've got to change this and this and this and this and this. And last on the list, oh, and if there's anything in me, God, maybe that ought to be the first thing. We get ourselves tied in worry knots over things that we can't possibly change, that only God can change. And while we're spending our time worrying about the things that only God can change, God would love to change us. And our circumstances, you know, they they go, they come and they go and they're up and down and all over the place. And if that's our focus, we're missing out on what worship is. See, a lot of people think I could only worship God when my circumstances are good. Right? That's kind of the, the norm here in American Christianity. When things are going good, I, I need to worship God. When's the other time when people worship God? When things are really, really bad. Right? So we worship God up here. We sometimes sometimes when things are really, really bad. But in the meanwhile, we're living a 
Christian life that is just up and down, up and down and all over the place. Because we're not asking God to change our heart as much as we are to change the circumstances. God, they're threatening us. They told God, God, they're threatening us. Change us to be more bold. I just love this. God, you see what's going on here. Shape me and change me to be your instrument. And they understood that there are things that only God can do. Hearts of worship get this. Hearts of worry don't. Hearts of worry do everything possible to change the circumstances. They do. Hearts of worry, they're so geared and focused toward if I could just change this, if I could just change this, and boy, don't we think that? If, if I could just win the lottery, my whole life would be changed. You know, actually, if you win the lottery, your life would be exactly what it is now. It'd be based on your character. And your character is just going to extend no matter what your opportunities are. And, and yet we, we get these ideas that, you know, if we could only have this happen. And if I could only do this. And you remember when you were a kid, and you say, God, hold off the rapture until I graduate from high school. <laughs> I, I just really want to be able to do that. And I want to see what that's like. And God, hold off the rapture until I get my first kiss. Right? Or whatever it is that you did. Hopefully it was at your wedding. Right? It's at your wedding. Um, God, hold off the rapture until I get married. I want to experience what that is. And, it, and you know, we were programmed to think of the next thing. And if we could only have this, boy, life would be happy. You know, sadly, there's a whole generation of humanistic kids that go to churches just like this one who think if they can have that next toy or that next relationship or that next high, whatever it's from, that that's going to be the thing. I'm telling you, only Jesus can satisfy your soul. And there are things that only God can do. Now look at verse number 31. We'll see this a couple times, but it's such a powerful verse. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the Word of God with boldness. So God not only answered their request, He went above and beyond their request. The place was shaken. There was an indication that God was involved in this. There are things that only God can do. But then there's a third part, and this is a very important part. Realizing there are things God calls us to do. They bowed to the fact that God is God alone. That there are things that only God can do. But they also recognized that God had allowed them to be participants in His grand design. And even though God's sovereign, and He doesn't need us to do anything, even though God could accomplish His plan any way He desires, He continues to use us as His children. And He's got things for us to do. Verse 31. You know what the power of the Holy Spirit brought? We just saw it. 
it brought the fact that they spoke the word of God with boldness. God had things for them to do. But then go on to verse number 32. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. And so they acted out their faith. Why is this? Because there are things that God has for us to do. And we should be reminded this morning that there are things in our lives that only we can do. And you need God's power to do them, but only you can do them. You know, only you can be the right husband to your wife. Only you can be the right wife to your husband. Only you can be the right father to your kids. Only you can be the right mom to your kids. Many people could sit in your cubicle at work. There's a lot of people who could take your place in the local flag football game. Right? There's somebody who could probably take your place down at the Tiddlywings tournament. Just guessing, there's somebody who could do that. Right? Somebody could probably do your bingo card for you. But there are things that only you can do for yourself. And God has specifically, deliberately, purposely called us to do some things. Only you can worship God for yourself. Do you know, that's one of the principles that the Baptist faith is built on. And a lot of people say, well, why do you have Baptists? What, what is that? What's that mean? Is, are we all just Christians? And, and uh, sometime we'll go over it. We have a sermon series, I think, that you could get on it. But, you know, one of the things that Baptists have always stood for is that every soul has an individual responsibility. And that individual responsibility that the soul has Scripture tells us means that we all have to choose God for ourselves. Your parent can't choose heaven for you. Because what parent wouldn't? Right? If you could choose success for your kids, you'd do it 100% of the time. If you could choose heaven for your kids, you'd do it 100% of the time. The Bible says that every soul must answer to God for himself. We all will appear before the judgment. And if that answer is not going to work, well, my parents really wanted me to become a Christian, and that's why I'm here in heaven. Nope. Doesn't work that way. There's an individual soul responsibility. And there's a freedom and a choice that has to be made in our own lives. Only you can worship God for yourself. Only you can read God's Word for yourself. Only you can have prayer life for yourself. That's why we we struggle. The, the, The biggest struggle most Christians have is in their own private walk with God. Because there are public parts of Christianity that's easy for us to fake. There are public parts of Christianity that we can share the load with others. But you know, there's nobody who can pray for you, like, between you and God. They could pray for you. They couldn't, like, pray for you, right? You know what I'm saying here. 
<laughs> Words mean things, right? Nobody can do these things as a substitute for you. And that's why there's an individual responsibility where we have to come for God. And we have to be honest with Him. And only I can be honest with the resources God's given me. There are things God has called us to do. And we need Him desperately. We know that. And even though He doesn't need us, He loves us. And He uses us to accomplish His will, just like He did these people in Acts. And so there are things that only God can do. There are things that God has called us to do. But then I want you to see the end of this. And read with me and look there again at verse number 33. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. In the end, if you keep reading the book of Acts, in the end, God did not change their circumstances. And if you keep reading, here's what you find out. Their circumstances got worse. The persecutions continued. Now they just weren't just in prison, they were beaten. And then one of the first deacons, a man named Stephen, was stoned to death. One of the pastors of this very church, Pastor James, the brother of John, was executed by Herod. In fact, out of the disciples that Jesus left on this earth, every single one of them was martyred for his faith, except for John, John the Beloved. He was boiled in oil and then exiled to an island called Patmos, where he lived to be pretty old. But all of these men, and many of the people in the upper room, the first 120 Christians, went through excruciating things in their family and in their lives. God didn't change the circumstances, but he did something much more powerful. And I love, I love this, what it says. It says, and great grace was upon them all. You know, that's more powerful than God changing your circumstances. Is God providing you great grace for your circumstances? He filled them with His Spirit. He provided them with boldness to be the servants He had called them to be. And friend, God may not change your circumstances. But if you truly worship Him, He will provide you with great grace, with the power to be His child, with the strength to do what He's asked you to do. And if you find that all of your prayers lately are centered around you and your circumstances, then maybe you need a renewal of worship. This morning I'd like to do something I don't think we've ever done. Just a minute, I, I'm going to invite anybody who wants to to be part of a worship service, Bible style. In the Old Testament, the word worship meant to bow before God. I realize some can't physically do this. Maybe you just want to bow your heart before God at your seat. What if we just took a couple minutes the end of the service today, and we just bowed before God as a church, and we declared, God, you're the only one. 
Lord, you are God. There's nobody else. And yes, you can remind God of your circumstances. But instead of asking God to change your situation, what if you ask Him to change you? Instead of God moving the waters or parting the waters to change your circumstances, what if He gave great grace to change you? I believe that these people, when they heard this news, and the disciples came back in and they gave the report, the first thing that they did was they went to the floor and they bowed before God. The Bible says when Moses worshipped that he lay prostrate before God. When the early Jews worshipped God, they would go in the door of their tent and they would go prostrate before God. Now, I'm not advocating that we all lay on our faces here this morning. But I do believe that it's okay if we bow before God. Whether it's with our bodies or just with our hearts. So right now, let's just do it. Let's have a worship service together. God, as we bow here this morning, we proclaim as a church, as the body of Christ, that you are God alone. And oh, how we need you in our presence. Lord, we don't want to gather, we don't want to meet if you're not here. You're the only one who provides us the power we need. Without you, we can do absolutely nothing. We know that there are things that only you can do. And God, you see the circumstances of every person in this room today. You see the circumstances of every family. Some of the families here today are hurting. Some of the hearts are discouraged. God, there are circumstances in this room that possibly no one in here but that individual knows about. And yet, we don't come to you today and ask you to change the circumstances. We come today and ask that you change us. Would you make us vessels of honor? Would you bestow upon us great grace? Would you empower us from heaven above? 
to live the life you've called us to live and to be lights shining in this world around us. Help us together to worship you. Lord, I pray that through the week that you would help us to take personal responsibility and to worship you, to pray, to get in your word, to give of our resources to you. I pray that you would guide us from this place to be the soldiers of the cross because of Jesus' blood shed for us. We thank you for who you are. Pray that you would keep us from this place. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. time to time, it's, it's good for us to be reminded of worship. There's something that I find that a lot of people makes, are very uncomfortable with, and it makes them very uncomfortable. You know what it is? Silence. People in this world today, they're used to the white noise. They're used to a radio being on or earphones in their ears or earbuds or headphones or television running somewhere. And to be who God wants us to be, there has to be some silence involved. For the still, small voice of God to be heard, we've got to be quiet sometimes. From time to time through this year, and you know what we're going to do just beginning of the service sometime? We're to say, you know what? Let's have a worship service. Now let's just bow before God in quietness. And maybe by family or with a friend. And just worship Him. You say, Pastor, that makes me feel very uncomfortable. I want you to read the book of Acts. And then read it again. And then read it again. And then read it again until it doesn't make you feel uncomfortable. And if it still makes you feel uncomfortable, please check and make sure that you have a spiritual pulse. Because worship is the main reason why we're here. To say, Lord, you are God. You're God alone. And there's nobody else. And so I hope that you'll go out with a heart of worship today before God. And that you'll worship with your family this week. And you'll worship in your own heart through this week. And really, that's what God wants us to do. God bless you, everybody. You're dismissed.